0: Welcome to Wisdom Personified, conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Welcome again to another um, episode of Wisdom Personified. I'm so excited today. I'll be talking to Dr. Ngao Musi, She's a seasoned executive and board member and lecturer as well. And with all those hats, it's going to be very exciting to learn a lot of wisdom from her. Dr. Mute, how are you?
1: I'm very well,
0: thank you Thank you, very you much. so much for giving up uh, your time to speak to us. No, it's only a pleasure, and thanks for having me. And we've come to the end of the year. How has your year been?
1: My year has actually been very interesting. I mean, it, it started out... Um, in January, I started new things. I ventured into another portion of the, of the life that I've envisaged for myself. So I had no idea
0: how it was going to, to go out, but so far, so good. Great. I'm just thinking of your life and thinking of what kept you occupied as a child. Because you, you come across as quite playful but serious. And I'm like thinking, as a child, what were you like? Very playful, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that hasn't changed. Yeah.
1: Very playful. I've got f- fond memories of, of my childhood, yeah. and, and part of it uh, being active at school, yeah. and doing sport, and, and essentially being just a child. Yeah. I mean, going to school, come back and, and play, and doing whatever needs playing, and once yeah. in a while, I'm getting into trouble because I've always kind of yes. pushed, the, pushed the boundaries yes. or questioned yeah. why we have to do things, you know.
0: Yeah. Which is a good mindset either. to have. Yeah, I suppose it, it has. Yeah. It has served me. Except for the adults who have to discipline you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you love golf. I do. Gosh, you do love your golf, oh, much I must just say. I, I <laughs> do
1: love my golf. I have to say that it's actually been interesting because, I mean, I've had clubs um, you know, that stayed in my, in my garage for 10 years and I just never played yeah. because it's almost like I had to go through a mind mind shift yes. about golf because at the time I felt oh, golf is such yeah. a bougie thing and it's almost like for black people you've arrived and I'm not going to yeah. go there. You're not, gonna the not the, <laughs> going to be the stereotype of arrived. I'm not going to be the stereotype of arrived. And then what happened is I was, I was a student. I did my PhD and disappeared completely out of, out of life. And people you know, stopped inviting me because I turned them down. And when I finished, I, I had nobody. It's, it's almost like I need, <laughs> have a, I have to start afresh. And at the time, and then somebody said, come, let's go play. And I was like, okay, maybe I should. Yeah. And as they say, you know, the rest it's is history. history.
0: I know, because I follow your profiles, and you love your golf. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's the vision you, you had for your life growing up? And the life you're living now, mm-hmm. uh, has it lived up to that vision? Do you know what? I, I
1: cannot actually say that I had a vision for myself, because I... I, all, all I did, I remember, I, I'm one of those people that had no idea, that did not have a clue what I want to do. Because you have, you know, two different, two types of people. Yeah. Some people know immediately that yeah. this is what I love, this is what I want to do. No, all of us are like that. And <laughs> I had no clue what, what it is that I wanted to do, what I wanted to do. All I did was just go to school and my parents used to say, whatever it doesn't matter if you don't um if you don't know what you want to do just go and you know study that education yeah. but it was interesting in, in the township that i grew up in which was uh, um you know I, I grew up in different places yeah. Mabupani basically I'm, I'm a pretoria yeah. girl
0: yeah.
1: and i remember there was one lady who was a social worker and uh, but what was, uh, what struck me was he drove a, a Gigi a Foxy, you know, back, and I thought, oh, my God, what should, does she do? I want to do that yeah. because I want to drive the Gigi Foxy. Oh, my God. I'm just- <laughs> and, and I ended up doing my first degree doing social sciences, and after that, I'm like, no, this doesn't sound like it. So I continued and I continued. It's almost like a, every cycle, three or four-year cycle, no, this, this, surely there's got to be more to it, and I ended up doing different things until, you know, from town planning, my master's degree was in town planning, and after town planning I, I then went into, into strategy, I know yeah. you're a strategy person, yeah. and it started to feel right. Yeah. It's started it evolution feel yes. right for me. And, and that's almost like the trajectory I've followed since then. Uh, strategy, leadership, very passionate about yeah. that.
0: Thinking about the first time I met you, you were at one of our listed financial services company. Yes. And I, I remember thinking, I wonder what's her unique value proposition. You really held your ground, you really held your space. Which is something rare, you know. A lot of oh, black executives are in positions, but you don't really feel their gravitas. Mm-hmm. What do you think your unique value proposition is?
1: I would say my unique value proposition is exactly what I said because I, I had different um, experiences, mm-hmm. and over time, also. Um, I want to believe, gather different expertise. Um, so I was not your one-channel um, kind of person. I mean, at the time you we met, I was the, the HR director, and yet I did not come from an HR background. Yes. But so you, 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 like,
0: owned it. Oh, you know, yes. it, it, Nobody would have said this is yes. not what you trained for.
1: I was a town planner, but how I, threw, uh, prior to that, through my strategy consulting and in my strategy consulting, I worked a lot with with executive teams, and I'm, I don't know by default or not default or by design or not by design. I ended up working a lot with heads of HR, and I remember thinking to myself that you know I wonder how uh, these uh, these guys that I'm working with, how how much value they could add, mm. you know, as HR from the people side of strategy. If they actually took time to actually understand the business, yes. the businesses they were in, yeah. and I remember, you know, after after working with a few companies and a few of the execs and a few of the HR heads, deciding and saying to myself, you know, if I was to to be an HR head, I would do HR differently. Yeah. And as yeah. they say, careful what you wish for, yeah. you might just and you might just get it. And that opportunity came, yeah. and and I want to believe that. You know, the impact that I was able to have with obviously not just myself, I had a very good uh, team of people, was first of all my understanding of strategy and my different kind of
0: thinking which I brought into the role at the time. Remember we could have just never met after that? Mm -hmm. It makes a difference. The impact a person makes, it's lasting. Yeah. And I had a leadership development program, and you were one of the first people I called Mm -hmm. to please be part of it. So, whatever you're doing, you're doing it correctly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You did your PhD, and your thesis was called Perceptions of Bullying and Organizational Intercedents in the South African Workplace, which is an interesting topic. What wisdom did you get about human beings when you did that?
1: In everything that, that I do, and it's almost like there's a story behind it. Yes. And I was, at the time, I was in one of the biggest banks in, in, um, in the country. And my experience, my experiences there, unfortunately, they were not very great with my line manager. And I remember going home on one Friday and sitting there after a particularly bad day, and I sat down and I, th- I think I typed something on, and, and boom, what came to me was that this thing that is actually going on has a name and it's called workplace bullying.
0: Wow. You will think it's in the playground only. You
1: only think, you know, especially in South Africa because there isn't, you know, too much research done in, in, um, in, the, in the world of, of bullying at work. So at the time, and I was, I was thinking of doing a PhD, and it immediately was like, this is what I want to do. And because essentially I felt that, you know, as and when I become, I get into that high leadership position, this is not the way I want to lead. Yeah. And the more I read and I started making myself, you know, knowledgeable around this subject, um, I also realized that most of the research was done in the West. And it was mainly interpersonal. Yes. So I wanted to look at bullying from an organizational point of view, hence the antecedents yeah. of, of, you know, organizational antecedents yeah. into bullying. So that's, that's, what, is, that's, that's what led me to, to that. And the findings were unfortunately not very pleasing. There's a lot of bullying in our workplaces in South Africa. And people don't even know it, don't know what is going on. There's a lot of, unfortunately, I'm, I'm you know, sad to say that there's a lot of you know, pain and toxicity that's going on in organizations. And, um, but it also gave rise to my, my BHEC, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, which is to bring back humanity into, into organizations. So my work in organizations is also informed by bringing back humanity into, back into organizations.
0: Isn't that unfortunate, uh-huh. that as adults, we will have such a life?
1: No, it is. It is unfortunate, but it, it's also a reality. And, and of course, it's not just a South African phenomenon. I mean, everywhere, organizations, especially now, you know, the, kind, the times that we live in, um, more, you know, more and more, people are, are meant to do more with less. Yes. And the economic environment is not helping. And there's a whole lot of things that, that, that that's at play in organization. People jostling for for positions and once you reach those positions, you know, doing everything you can to hold on to it and not necessarily lifting others others up. And um, forgetting that, you know, as leaders we, we we've got shadows. Our shadows cast. Um, in the direct environment within which we operate. What book have you read this year? And Ooh, what how, impression? What books? Yes. How many books? Well, the
0: one book that you would like to share with us that really left a good impression. Okay. Um, can I do two? Can I break yeah. the rule? I mean, you, you really <laughs> have to. Okay.
1: So, so the one book was uh, Portfolio Life, um, and it's really written by David Corbett. And, Corbett. And I think it's, it's the whole thing is about how to lead a, um, a life of purpose mm-hmm. um, after 50. Hopefully um, we start doing it before 50. No, we do. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, some of us have, have started doing it before 50 because yeah. that's why I always started and mm-hmm. say, surely there should be more to what I'm doing. And, and I've kind of always believed in, in the world of end doing this and not doing either yeah. this or that. So that, that kind of, um, I was quite happy because it kind of shaped, um, confirmed to me that what I've always been thinking about actually does exist. Yes. And there's a name for it called Portfolio Life. The second book is called Traversing the, the Avalanche. And essentially it's in the space of governance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more around how to use governance um, to propel or to support um, SMEs and private companies um, into, into growth and sustainability.
0: And people do misunderstand what governance is, isn't it? They do. Because they, they always do. think it's just the checkbook. Yeah. It is strategy, essentially. If you do strategy effectively, you are also good at governance. Yeah. Your title is called Chief Portfolio Life Officer. Isn't it catchy? <laughs> and your company is called My Portfolio Life? Yes and it helps uh, individuals to identify post-career portfolio of activities in line with their life goals. Yes. What wisdom informed this formation of this company, and what have you learned about human beings since?
1: The wisdom that that informed it, was it it links to to what I said earlier about wanting to live in the world of and. and. But the other thing is that, you know, when you look back um, over our years, we have we have done so many things. Hmm. Um, we have um, so many expertise. We've got you gather, we covered so many expertise. Yeah. We've got different passion. Why not form, form that into into what you do? So essentially, the the um, in essence, the concept of uh, life portfolio. Is is borrowed from the financial services, you know, with money because you know when you do investments, they call it the like portfolio. And and my my thinking and my sense was, why don't you we also you know give it um, the entire make complete the, portf- the portfolio by looking at life. And what I mean by that is based on all the things that we've done in life, all our experiences. Um, you you segment your life in terms in terms of you know categories of or portfolios of things that you do um, for for money vocational that you do things that you do for for the love of it uh, recreational like in my case uh, golf yeah. but also things that you give him back yeah. um, the, what the kind of things that you that you give back but some one of the things that actually. Um, propelled or helped me to shape this, was that in doing the work that I do, consulting work that I do with executives, is I'm finding that some of the colleagues, executives that I'm I'm talking to, who are either post 50 or getting closer to Mm -hmm. retirement, have no idea what to do, what what they're gonna do beyond that. So part of it was, so my engagement with them has always been, for example, what are some of the things that you wanted to do which you never got around to doing because of your, of your career, of the demands Don't of your work? Don't want to regret work. that, eh? Yeah. yeah.
0: What's the most courageous decisions you've ever taken as a leader? And what motivated you to do that? Maybe to other people, maybe courageous. For me, um, you know, what is courageous?
1: Yeah. What is, you know, because what's courageous to me, yes, the definition of it may not be... But, I mean, one of the things I've always, after, after many years serving in, you know, working in corporate and after being an executive in corporate, I always knew that I was not going to retire in corporate. So, the long story short, one of the courageous things that I did, I suppose, is actually deciding, um, you know, this is it. Um, I'm just the comfortable to, to leave the, the, the comfort of the, you know, the high salary and the benefits and the title to actually go and, and, and do what what I believe I was meant to do. And but at the same time, I'm also very grateful that I've had the, the experience and that I have got to uh, in, incorporate to enable me to actually take that uh, that leap of faith. Except it, this time around, and it was not even the first time because i've i 've left i 've left my job many a times, uh, maybe twice before, but I think this this time I was a little bit more prepared and and knew kind of knew what I really wanted to do, yeah. even though but you can never really be prepared yes. because you never know what what you 're stepping into. What is different though is that even with the challenges and of being an entrepreneur or doing your own work, your, your own thing, is it so fulfilling?
0: Yeah. You are very much um, involved in change management and transformation portfolios when you are an executive. What do you think is holding back our business leaders in terms of embracing transformation? Why is our pace of transformation so slow in South Africa, especially in the private sector?
1: Look, I mean, I'm I'm not in in anybody's head, so I wouldn't know what what really is, but my view, having been, is that one of the things that we're not doing well, especially in boardrooms and in executives, is is succession. You know, talk uh, talk about uh, succession. So what happens is most of the time, um, you know, we never really had a good leadership uh, bench or uh, to you know for somebody to take over so what happens so then what happens is the default is when when you know one for example if a black executive uh, goes away then there's always this narrative or question of well there's nobody else to um, um, to take over but I think it's it's it, that's the the one thing succession. But the other thing is that we, you know, it's probably also the way we position and talk about transformation. We talk about and position it, or in many instances, organizations take it. It's almost like it's it polarizes, you know. And and I believe that you know you and I are from strategy. We don't talk about it more, aligning it more as, as you know, a strategic imperative of the business. So one of the things then is that, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, the, the consequence is that it gets looked at as somebody else's responsibility and not everybody embracing it. Right. And a grudge—it's almost like a grudge purchase. Until you know, you know, you get, you know, people's. It's almost like your hand becomes twisted, and they do it as a grudge. But I think we could do better, in as in the in executive committees and in boards to actually because talent is one of a very very key um, um, agenda. Who is
0: our most important asset?
1: Yes, we always say that those are important Assetis people, yet we, we don't, you know, we uh, is most of, more often than not, we don't, we don't back that up. I have to say, though, that it's not all doom and gloom, you know. There has been strides that have been, um, you know, made at the same time. It's almost like it's a polarity. We've also seen in recent times, it's almost like we, we, we've actually gone backwards. Um, in some of, especially yeah. you know, in some of the sectors where you know, when you look at the, um, the the leadership and the exco management, senior management is we've actually gone backwards. But that's also because I think um, you know we we do not have success, we
0: don't we do not have succession. We usually say the fish rots from the head. Do you buy into that? And do you believe that? just because our leaders in a particular kind of character that it gives us license to be like that as well well yes and no um you know there's also there's this
1: there many years ago there was the concept of followership which i'll come back to it but but um yes in the sense that i talked earlier about you know the shadow of leaders Mm -hmm. you know leadership shadow when when you're a leader how you how you show up and how you lead Actually, does have a you know a direct impact on your on uh, on your direct environment because you know often as leaders, it's not so much what we say, it's what we do. You know, people watch what we do, and this is why. This is where I think the you know the, the phrase "the fish rots uh, from the head" actually um, actually makes sense and, and fits. At the same time. I also feel that if you have strong followership and we we often think of followers as people who are meek who just follow but good followership are people also that that understand that they have a right to put that leader in there and if they have you know or they have a choice you know to follow or not to follow yeah. and good leaders also Um, also are are good followers. Because as a good leader, you should know, you know your role is to provide good strategic um, advice and direction and get of the way, you know? And you know when to lead and when to be a follower because um, by its very nature, leaders, we we lead and manage people. We often talk about knowledge, uh, what do we call it? Knowledge workers and knowledge workers by its very being is that they, they know more than us, they you know, and they, have a brain. they think they have a brain. So it's also, you know, as good leadership is knowing when, when to step back and let somebody yeah. that, that actually knows and, and is better you know, equipped and better
0: prepared for the current context to actually lead. I, I was once facilitating a strategy session and there was this a difficult board member you know, there are those people who talk a lot in yeah. meetings mm-hmm. and everybody tends to just give them the air time. Yeah. So, I, so I then said to him, are you aware that to be a good leader you also need to be a good follower? Yeah. The entire room just went dead. Because they're like, at the end they're like, thank you, thank you. We've always <laughs> wanted to tell him that. <laughs> but you never had the courage. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are some traits as, as human beings and I'm going to talk in the context of being a leader, behaviour traits that we sometimes exhibit, Mm -hmm. which kind of trip us up. Mm -hmm. Which one would you like, want to highlight that as aspirant leaders we must guard against? Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's a behaviour or a trait that, Mm -hmm. you know, we must look into and say, hey, I must be aware that this will trip me up.
1: First of all, my, my thing about leadership is, um, leadership is an expression of who we are. So if, if, if you, who you are, is understanding that you are because of others, you're going to lead in that way. Mm-hmm. And if who you are or the way you have, you know, whatever environment um, has shaped you to, to believe that, Leadership is about position, and therefore, if you're in the position, you have every right to do as we wish, without necessarily uh, thinking too much about what you know, what your impact is. That those are the things that that treat people, and we often um, uh, term. Uh, you know, those kinds of leaders as positional leaders, because it's more around how they do and what they do is informed very much by the position that they occupy. Yeah. So what happens when that position is not there? So does it mean they cease to be leaders? Yeah. Whereas um, in, in my own phrase of leadership is an, is an expression
0: of who you are, you can lead without a position. Precisely. I just had a presentation, uh, I think two days ago, and my topic was, I am my own best leader, because mm-hmm. ultimately, if you don't see yourself as a leader, yeah. first of yourself, yeah. how dare you ask us to give you the privilege of leading yeah, the yeah. rest of us. So okay. uh, it was an interesting reaction that I got to it. Yeah. Um, which leader, dead or alive, in the business world do you admire? And, and what um, about that person I- inspires you?
1: Do you know what? I've actually, I, I, as you're asking this, I'm, I'm asking myself... It's it's almost like a very difficult question. Oh. I never thought, um, you know, such a question would be a difficult one to answer. But the funny, the first person that comes to mind is Lulu Guagua. Mm. You know, I, uh, Lulu is, I worked, she was, I met her when she was a CEO of one of the state-owned enterprise. And, and she recruited me. And... Um, and I mean, one of the things that I love about her is, is her support of others and her support of other women from many, many years back then. So there was this whole thing, pull head down syndrome. And when I worked with her, all I heard from her was support. And, and then she stepped into business um, and she continues to do that. She continues to support others and she does that quietly. Yes. Without, without you know, isn't being, that intoxicating? Without when are even so spending in on. Wide and she's very small, yes. and when she comes in the room, it's, you know, she's. I think she epitomizes what they call, you know, dynamite coming in small packages. But more than anything, the trait that I love, really, really about her, is is just doing, going about doing great work
0: and quietly. Yeah. We don't need all the bells yeah. and whistles. Yeah. And,
1: and that's, that's, that, that's, that's one of the things that I have learned from her. And I'll continue to learn. And I think without even knowing it is, you know, it's almost like modeling my behavior. Yeah. Um, it has shaped how, you know, the leader that I am, I am and I'm constantly becoming.
0: Yeah. And the business person that I'm, I'm also, you know, aspiring to be. Yeah and you're an inspiration to us because you also do your things quietly, but we're observing. Is there something you want to share, your last uh, words of wisdom that you want to share that we haven't covered so far? I think a lot of it is, is similar. Maybe it ties to the last
1: point that I made. I mean, whatever you do, as long as your heart is in it, and you love what you're doing, and you're doing it for the right reasons, do it without expecting anything in return.
0: But we do like the glory, isn't it? What's wrong with the glory? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. You don't have to seek the glory. If you Because, I mean, there are so many examples um, all over, where with people doing good work and not seeking glory, yeah. And glory coming to them, and they still continue to mm-hmm. run away from it. But you cannot dim a light yes. when it's when it's, you know
0: shining on, on top of you. Yeah. And that's your legacy, ultimately, isn't it? No, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank thank you I very really enjoyed that. And uh, join us again next time uh, when we speak to another amazing human being. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified. Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow, and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personify, Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.